this was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave, and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. But the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand, and he's running really fast. And spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge, and I blowed his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg, and I look over, and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reach my hand into this bush, and I touch air. Couldn't breathe, and I couldn't move, because I know I'm seeing a monster. Yep. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being here. If you've had an encounter or story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the contact section, and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me, just get a hold of me. And if you want more of the show every week, on Thursdays we release a fully produced episode for members only to the website. We also have forums, live shows, lots of fun as a member on the website. So if that interests you, go ahead to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the join button and become a member today. Now today we got a great show coming up and I want to apologize to everybody that I know I usually release these episodes late Monday night, Eastern time or early Tuesday mornings, but last night I was exhausted. We are building a new studio in the house because up to now, the last three years, I've been recording in our third bedroom. But since Lindsay is pregnant, we need this bedroom to be a baby room. So I have to go to the basement. To the basement I go. And so we started building a studio in the basement and it has been kicking my butt. Lots of work, but it's coming along well. If you want to see some pictures of how we're progressing through the studio building process, go to our Instagram, The Confessionals Podcast, and you can see pictures of what we got going on in the basement. I'm excited about it and I'm hoping that we're going to have it done by Thursday or Friday this week and I can make the move down in the basement because I am exhausted exhausted. And last night I came upstairs and I was going to work on the show and get it out like I normally do. And I passed out. I just fell asleep. And here it is five o'clock in the morning and I'm recording this to get you guys a show. I apologize. It's a few hours late, but I just, I was exhausted and I just, I don't even remember falling asleep. I just fell asleep. So (laughs) today we got Dave Edmonds coming on and Dave is one of these people who has gone through many abduction scenarios. He actually believes that he has alien offspring. He has a very interesting story. I don't want to spoil it because we got reptilians today. Let's go.
All right. Today, we got a great guest coming on. We have Dave Edmonds. How are you doing, sir? Yes, I'm doing fine, uh, Tony. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. So, uh, Dave, before we get into anything, though, I just want to ask you real quick. Are you the same guy that I had a reschedule with before and I had called you and you said to me, I don't know who you are? <laughs> Is that who you Yeah, I, Yeah, because there was a mix up of, of two yeah. radio people and I had two, uh, two uh, I guess, uh, channels uh, calling me. And, and, and I, I guess what happened was that uh, I, I forgot that, that, you know, that you were on there and I had this other one. So it was kind of a, uh, I thought it was you actually that I, I was doing this other radio show with and it wasn't. So I went ahead and did it, but I think I talked to you about a reschedule after that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I was like, hold on a second. You scheduled with me though. Like, I, I don't know what happened. So uh, yeah, I, uh, it was in January, I think. Yeah. And, uh, I was, uh, I was, uh, pretty busy back then and, sure. uh, getting prepared for my wife to go to the Philippines. And I've been busy with that the past week or so too. Yeah. Well, uh, you have had uh, a life of experiences when it comes to abductions, uh, and UFO witnessing and things like that. You've, I think you've even seen, uh, such things as like alien entities or something like that. So, uh, what I want to do is hand it over to you and let you take it away and share with us, you know, some of these things that have happened throughout your life. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Tony. I want to actually uh, say I'm sorry about the mix-up back in January. That's nah, fine. It wasn't that I was uh, I was neglecting your show. It was it was just a, a mix-up. It, it just got intertangled with another one. <laughs> but I'm very sorry for that. I That's know how funny. it is to to get a cancellation and then have to kind of fill it real quick. So. Yeah, I, I, mine started. Uh, I'm a little bit uh, older than you, Tony. I, mine started back in 1963. I had a good friend of mine, and I we were sitting on his steps, and he lived in a bottom apartment with his dad, and uh, we were drinking uh, sodas, uh, uh, Pepsi out of a bottle. That dates me right there. And we had a 10 transistor radio playing, and we smelled something that smelled like sulfur or gunpowder. That's what we were. We were more closely associated with with gunpowder. But to come to find out later, that's uh, burned ozone. And so we smelled that and we said, what's that? And we looked up and we saw these two white lights. They weren't really big lights. And we saw a red light on the back of this thing. And so it was about the treetop level, just slowly coming over the neighborhood. I lived right behind him and just the gate uh, and, and a yard just separated us. So uh, we went up on top of the road. And he grabbed the flashlight out of his dad's truck. As we were walking up the road following this thing, he kept flashing the flashlight at it. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if that attracted him or uh, because they do communicate with light uh, or that or they were just after one of us or maybe both of us. Uh, so we went up into this empty lot where we can get a good uh, view of it. It was about uh, 30, 40 feet off the ground, really low. And it was about 30 feet wide, and it was kind of like a pudgy top that the kids used to play with back in the day when they wound it up from the top with a kind of a screw-type thing. And uh, there was three little levels. It was kind of bubbly-like levels. Uh, on the second level, there were, there were windows. Uh, there were portals. And so we were standing there pinching each other, and I remember him pinching me too hard. I guess because he was nervous, and I said, "Oh, you hurt me." So, and we said, "Can can you believe this? Are you seeing what I'm seeing?" I said, "Yes, I am." I said, "I've never seen it before." I was 14 at the time, and uh, we, you know, back then you didn't have that kind of stuff flying around. You may have some stuff flying around today that might confuse somebody if it's real or not, or real ET or EF, a UFO uh, piloted. But it, this thing was just sitting there. 
And I was, I told my friend, I said, I'm, I'm afraid of them looking out those windows, the portals. I said, I don't want to see what they look like. Well, the portals were on the second level. And then the third level just had a little dome on it. And it had two antennae sticking up. And I recognized that even when I was 14 years of age, I thought they got antennae. So they must, they must uh, communicate uh, over radio or something. So that was my belief. Even back then, I picked up on that. But we, we kept looking at it. And it just stood there, and we just stood there. And then we, all of a sudden, we we felt, uh, okay, this is over with. I looked to the west, and I figured it out by drawing it. A lot of people who are experiencers, who've seen UFOs, some of the best things they can do is go and, and get a piece of paper and pencil and draw it out, and then find out if it moved or not, and where, how it moved. If you if you saw it in one place and then you you lost some time, you had missing time, and then you noticed it was in another place, so that's proof that you didn't see it move. So apparently you were abducted at that time. And when I after we kind of looked at this thing for about oh about four or five minutes, then we thought it was over and the thing left. But when we got home, uh, our parents were really mad because it started about ten thirty at night. And I guess it was close to midnight by the time we got in, in the house. And my mom was really mad. She had to unlock the door. And she said, where you been? I said, I saw a UFO. And she said, all UFO, your butt, you get in the house. And, <laughs> and, my, and my friend, the same way, he went home and told his dad. He said, Dad, I just saw a UFO, a flying saucer. He said, yeah, son, yeah, yeah, okay, that's good. He says, go to bed. So back then, they didn't pay attention to us kids. We They just wouldn't uh, – uh, you know, we were supposed to be seen and not heard back in those days, but uh, now it's a little different. Uh, kids have a little bit more freedom to talk, and they're they're getting educated faster than what we did back in those days. But when uh, when we both talked about it the next day, we couldn't we couldn't figure out the missing time. And him him or I did not did we did not have a watch. We didn't keep track of time back then. Uh, us kids back back then, we were lucky to have a watch, a Timex or whatever, and we didn't have a camera on us, of course. The camera wouldn't have worked anyway that close up because we were being hit with some magnetic energy, and we didn't know what it was, what it was. but it was kind of like uh, quieting us down, like a, a calming type feeling. I think that's what we felt when we were standing there. But I thought this thing was, was weird. It kind of looked like one of those... Uh, uh, flying saucers from the uh, Nazi period. Uh, it, I seen one that uh, they were. They, I guess, they speculated on, and they they drew it out or took a picture, and it looked like something like that. I was looking for a Nazi sign myself, and there wasn't any. wasn't any signs or nothing on this craft, and they did not look out the windows. So we it was over with. But I I'm a journalist, so I I tried to keep notes. But back then I didn't. I didn't keep notes. I couldn't take pictures. So I went on my merry way, and we we told our friends about it, and they laughed at us. Of course, back then they would they would really laugh at you, and uh, nobody paid any attention to us, you know. Uh, so it's uh, it was a weird thing to see something when you're really young. It's a little bit better when you're older because you observe things a little closer. But I thought we saw enough, and I was waiting for another fact to to come down, or, or you know another shoe to drop. Uh, and like I kept in touch with my, he was my best friend and still are today. We talk about the, the UFO thing. And he said he heard a little whizzing, buzzing sound. I didn't hear that. I guess I was focused on those windows, the portals, uh, to see if I can see them. But 
we we talked and we tried to compare notes and everything compared except for the missing time. Uh, he has questions about that too. He said it must have been really late because he said he got in the house and everybody was asleep and and he said that he just you know went to bed and we still didn't know the time. But I believe they not believe I know there is a couple of regressed dreams that I had where I was sitting on a on the metal table and I was trying to put on a shirt. And I was really groggy, and I felt it was kind of dark in the room. I couldn't see nothing much. I couldn't see see anything anyway because I was really groggy, trying to put the shirt on, and it was too tight. Well, my buddy was a little bit smaller than me, so I was a little pudgy, so I needed the larger shirt. So apparently, they must have got us you know, squared away and got our clothes on us and put us back in that empty lot. So that was the dream I had, a regressed dream about that. Uh, the other thing that was really phenomenal that uh, really most of my uh, incidences are my uh, experiences, I wait for another fact to come up to kind of tell me, yes, this was true. And it smacks you in the face. But what happened three weeks later, a month later, uh, I was messing with my left testicle area and I felt a bump. And I thought, what is that? And I looked down. And I saw a red line, just a really fine red line, about, I guess it's three-eighths of an inch, maybe a little longer. And uh, I, I thought, I'd okay, what I'd do, I'd just push this thing up out of that cut line, that red line. So I worked at it, worked out. It took me about five minutes or so. I finally got it out, and it was kind of an ash color. It was round like a little disc, like a little Advil tablet. And as I held it out, it started turning brown. Uh, it was it was getting brown as I held it out. I took it and showed it to my mom, and she says, throw that away. She said, that's probably an ingrown hair or, or something like that. And I said, no, it's not, Mom. She said, what are you talking about? She said, throw it away. I said, Mom, I said, there was a hole cut for it. I said, there was already a hole, and it didn't bleed. I said, I should have bled. And I said, when I pushed it, I said, I did not bleed. And the red line, I, I pushed it right out that red line. And she said, a red line. I said, yeah, like something was already cut that, you know, that was there. And she looked at me kind of confused. She didn't know what to say then. And she said, just go ahead and throw it away, throw it away. And you you can see she was in deep thought. She probably connected the two, the UFO and then now this strange object found in my left testicle. And and the other thing I found out here uh, the last few years and I had it uh, verified that uh, when they put an implant in, in you, they always put it on the left-hand side. Uh, the left-hand side of your body uh, more or less controls the right side of your brain. And that's where your your imagination, that's where your creativity, that's where music and arts come from. So they tap into that side of the brain in order to, I guess, talk to you, uh, relate to you, and, and find out where you're at just by uh, vibrations of your DNA. And that's how they find you. It's just not the implant. Uh, the implant uh, that I found, I think it was to help rearrange or modify my my DNA to where it would give off a different frequency where they can pick it up. Something that they were designing that uh, they wanted to put in us uh, so, to uh, you know have that that different uh, DNA type, type tied onto our our DNA. So that's what they. That's one of the. I, believe that's what the charcoal looking uh, implants and also the ones that the like I had kind of a chemical looking implant uh, that's that's that type of implant 
Now, there's another type of implant that's a metal implant. And I got, I got a feeling I got one in my left thumb. The doctor looked at it. He said, if it bothers you, we'll take it out. Of course, if a civilian doctor takes it out, they won't let me keep it. So I'm a little afraid of that. But uh, that, the, the, two, the two actually implants I got, the other one in 2011 in my left leg, in my left calf, and I took that out, and it was also charcoal. It was charcoal-looking, a little darker than the first one I took out when I was 14 years old. And they were both, like, melting away. And when you got them out in the air, they would start deteriorating or just falling apart. So I put the, the one uh, – I knew more about things back in 2011, so I put it in a plastic bag to try to stop the air from from hurting it. So I kept it for a while in that plastic bag, but it kept dissolving I took pictures of it, and some of the pictures really look weird. It looked like brain neurons coming off of the the charcoal lump. And I had a biologist friend of mine. She was a, a supervisor at St. Louis University. And she took a look at it. She said, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like that before. And she said, I've seen a lot of stuff. And I said, wow, that's scary. She said, yes, very scary. So it was different. Uh, so I found out, you know, from I, you know, from friends that I have, I, I get to, I ask them for information. I ask them what they think uh, before I, I say or do anything. Uh, I, I usually ask people uh, what their opinions are, especially if they have an expertise in it. I, I try not to go alone uh, on on my decisions about what happens to me. I try to verify it. But when you have an implant. After you come close to a UFO, if you're within 150 feet of a UFO, they got you. Uh, from what I hear, uh, they're they're taking interest in you and they're going to abduct you if they get that close to you. So they won't get close to a human being unless they have some a motive of uh, abducting you. Uh, like I said, always wait for something else to come around to verify and and let me know that this incident really happened. Uh, I went for some years. I played music. I, I played music three nights a week. I went to school at night, uh, two nights a week. I, I worked five, six days a week. And I played music, like I said, two, maybe three nights a week back then. And I was totally busy until I passed out from exhaustion. And the doctor told me that I needed to slow down. But I was so busy back in the 70s and 80s that I didn't really have any incidents that I know of. Back then, uh, either that they were small paranormal incidents that they were tracking me, and I, I wasn't paying any attention to it because I was so busy. But uh, 1996 was my first first since since uh, 1963. It was 1996 that I saw uh, my first ET up close. I was in uh, my bedroom sleeping. It was about 1:30 in the morning. My wife, she's my ex-wife now, she was there, and uh, she kept the room dark because she couldn't sleep very well. So the room was really dark, and we had a daughter, and she was I thought it was her coming in. I got up on my right elbow, had my chin in my in my palm, and I was looking. I said, I, I called out her name several times, and there was no response. And I saw this dark image walk past the, the dresser mirror. And I said, okay, she's going to just come up and, and, and whisper to me that she's going to get an aspirin or something that she had a headache. And so this, this object, dark art, to come up to me and I got in my, my left palm, my left palm with my chin and I looked at this thing and it was about three and a half feet tall, uh, maybe close to four. And it was just standing there staring at me. And what it looked like, it was, had a lot of wrinkles in it, uh, not your typical really smooth, uh, you know, gray that you see on a commercial 
uh, TV or movies or anything. He was really wrinkled. He had eyes like us, but they were a little bit bigger. Uh, he had white pupils. I couldn't tell what his his uh, what color eyes he had. They looked like they were dark, but he did have white pupils, and he didn't have the black lenses on his on his eyes. Maybe because it was dark and it was late at night, or one thirty in the morning. But as he stared at me, I didn't see his hands. I just saw his uh, shoulders and his head looking at me. That's all that was sticking above the bed. And he was just staring at me. And I remember having a lot of fear for about five or six seconds. That fear went away, I guess, when he hit me with some magnetic energy that dumbed me down. And I went to, I went back to sleep. So I don't know what happened after that, after uh, I went back to sleep. I woke up uh, and, and I thought, what, what just happened? I said, this is scary. I got out of the bed and I asked my uh, wife, I said, did you hear or see anything? She goes, no, go back to bed. And I went in the bathroom. My eyes were twitching. My eyelids were just fluttering. I couldn't figure out and I couldn't stop them. I said, what's causing this? So I splashed cold water in my face, rubbed my eyes, and and I, I walked into the living room. I was going to go to work in about an hour and a half anyway. So I decided that I'm too hyped up. That, that scared the hell out of me. So I, I sat there and watched TV until I went to work the next morning. Uh, well, that morning at 6 o'clock in the morning. So that was the, the incident that I had that I, I thought to myself the next day, I couldn't even talk about it. I, I really couldn't uh, talk about it to uh, uh, people I was working with and uh, what was going on uh, because it was something that it hit me after so many years. I thought, okay, I saw this one UFO and I had an experience and I, and I'm pretty sure I was abducted. I had a, I had a implant in me and I thought it was over with, but in 1996, it scared me because I knew it wasn't over with. They were still following me. They were still taking DNA samples and semen samples. And I actually found out, you know, a little bit later, uh, they were taking semen samples from me. Uh, I know I know how they do it. I've seen it. Uh, so it wasn't until I guess it was around uh, 2000 and uh, when was it? 2001, somewhere in there. I, I saw. No, wait a minute. It's 20, 2001. It wasn't that wasn't the year that I, I saw this this uh, one silvery thing. Well, yeah, it had to be 2001 because I was at, at the refinery. Uh, that I'm dating myself now. I was a supervisor <laughs> at a refinery, and uh, that that was 2001. Uh, I think what gets me mixed up is you got uh, you know 2011. You got all these important dates, and this yeah. this 2001. Yeah. I saw this. I saw this craft. I was up on about 14th deck of a, of a tower. Uh, they're actually a reactor vessel. It has about 1,500 degrees. It cracks the crude oil, and it cracks it into gasoline. It breaks it apart from different uh, uh, carbon uh, molecules. But I got up on the, on the 14th deck just inspecting things. I saw this silvery thing coming towards me from the east. And I kept looking at it, and I called the guys down in the control room. I said, you guys need to stick your head out and take a look at this thing. And they said, oh, no, it's Dave and that UFO stuff again. And uh, so this thing come up by me. And after, when it come up by me, it must it was only about 20 feet above me where I was at, and I was probably about 140 feet up. And it was it, it just it come right by me. And what I saw, it was about 15 feet long. And probably about 15 feet wide, the two wings, two short wings sticking out. And then there was one tail wing, the, the vertical. And there was no cabin, no no windows, no sound, nothing. 
and it looked like it was like smooth, like like it was the metal was just poured. You know, it was just poured, and it was formed by that by that pouring of that metal. And there's no bolts, nothing. I kept looking at it, and it turned and went to the south real slow. And then I thought to myself, I went down and told the guys about it, and they laughed, of course. And and I thought to myself, well, they cannot fly over a refinery. Uh, that's uh, against the, the rules and regulations. No plane can fly over a refinery unless it's EPA or some government plane that's uh, authorized to do so. So I knew that that was wrong, that this thing was flying near and around a refinery. That part I knew was wrong, so I knew it couldn't have been a human pilot. There wasn't any pilot maybe at all. It was probably a drone that they were using, the ETs were using. And it was it was floating, I'd say, about 120 feet or 140 feet where I was at off the ground. And that's not very high uh, for a, a drone or even a... Uh, a light craft, uh, you know, that's that's coming around. It that's not enough space or enough height uh, to be safe around refinery. So I knew it had to be propelled by something else. And the other follow-up thing I got from that after that happened in 2001, it must have been the spring, early spring of 2001. And the other thing I got from that was the next night or two, I had a very lucid, vivid dream. That uh, I, the, I walked through the refinery, everything was quiet. I couldn't figure out because the refinery, the, the gas plants usually really loud and nothing was making any noise. I walked into the big blower room and there was nothing in there, no sound, and that's the loudest part of it. So I, I ran into the control room and there was no lights, nobody in there. It was completely empty. And I thought to myself, the plant's going to close. And when I woke up, I took I took the messages, and you know I said that well the pan, the plant's going to close in just a, in a few sharp months, and I told the guys that in the in the refinery the guys I worked with the group, I told them that and they laughed. They said, "Where'd you get this from the UFO?" I said, "Yes," and they laughed again a little bit stronger. But I didn't care. I was starting to gain confidence after after that. So. The plant did close, and uh, even though they said that it's going to be five million dollars of renovation to it, uh, the plant did close. So it it threw me, uh, it, I more so of a future time, and then also I was thrown a a morsel of dreaming of the past. And I just interviewed another guy who said the same thing. He said they can take you forward, or they can take you backward. Uh, in your mind and your memories are what's going to happen in the future. And I said, yeah, I wish they would talk to me more about the future. It's something that we don't we don't think about a lot of times, how they communicate with us. And I don't think we have a real handle on what they're up to. How to, Why are they doing the things they do? But I've always asked the question, why me? Why is this happening so much to me? Why am I being shown all this stuff? Then after that that incident in, in uh, 2001, I got busy. I owned a nightclub and a restaurant and got busy on that. I kind of lost my butt on that. So in about 2008, I worked for the Red Cross, and then I went, went ahead and went into retirement after that. But in, in 2009 and 2010 is when things really got heated, and uh, it, was, uh, it was a kind of a – two years or so of, of things happening one right after the other. Uh, like they were just really bombarding me with, uh, with visuals of craft 
and also spending a day with a hybrid in in uh, Sedona. Why a hybrid, a shapeshifter? I don't know. Uh, see, that's one one of my bigger uh, events too that still confuses me to this day. So, in the, I'll, I'll take you to that that event, the hybrid meeting in Sedona, Arizona, in uh, 2010. It was October 4th. I went to Sedona, and I took a quick nap, got up, and they told me at this uh, this little, I guess, jewelry store that uh, they said they saw a UFO at Cathedral Rock. I said, oh, I know where that's at. I'll, I'll go there. So I went there, pulled in the driveway, started filming with my Sony cam, and uh, I turned around, and I saw this white car pulling in behind me in another parking space. And then out jumps this uh, a Japanese uh, young gal. She must have been in her early 30s. I couldn't really tell how old she was. Uh, and she just had a white light sweater, and she had she had denims on, and she had mud splatter on them. And uh, she walked up to me like a little puppy, and she had her hands kind of like folded, and she was looking at me while I was filming. And then I filmed a little bit of her and asked her a question. I said, I'm here filming UFOs. Do you believe in UFOs? And she, she just kind of like hung her head and and looked back at me and you know so i said okay i put the camera down and i started talking to her and i said are you here waiting for people she goes no i said are you gonna go hiking she goes no i said it looks like it's gonna rain it's got uh, it's got some dark clouds and i said it, it looks like a rain i wouldn't go hiking right now so she said uh she said no i'm here i'm supposed to see you I said, you're supposed to see me. Yeah. She said, I'm supposed to meet you, not see me, but, but about both of them meaning the same thing. But she said, I'm supposed to meet you. And I said, really? I said, who are you? And she told me her name was Hiroko. I told her my name. I said, why are you supposed to meet me? And she wouldn't answer. She had these dark eyes that just would pierce and kind of put me into a, I guess that she dumbed me down with the, with the energy. And I said, well, you want to get in the I thought this was kind of weird. So I said, you want to get in the car and talk? It's starting to rain. She goes, sure. She gets in the car. And I looked at her and said, you're not, you're not afraid of being with an old galoot like me by yourself? And I said, you can kick my butt probably. And she looks at me and gives me a stare. And she goes, yes. And I said, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> About a 100, and, uh, I guess, 10-pound uh, woman uh, going to kick my butt. And I and, then I, I saw a car pull in just a space or two over from me, and I looked, and it was a young guy in his late 20s, had a had short uh, cropped hair, and he had a headset on, but he never looked over at me. And I kept staring, waiting for him to turn around. Look, most people, when they park, they turn around, look at their environment, look what, what's going on, and look what they're gonna, going to do. And I turned to her, and I said, do you know that guy? I said, it's funny that he pulls in. I said, he's kind of acting strange. I I he won't show his face. He doesn't turn. He just sits there. And she goes, no, I don't know him. And then she started talking about emotions. And one of the things that I studied before uh, she started doing that was that they do look for emotions, human emotions, because they don't have them. Uh, they have to be trained for human emotions. And she asked me what I would do if I, if I always had a, a problem with a, a coworker. I said, well, I'd talk to him and try to make peace. I said, because on the job, you don't want no trouble or you both be fired. And and then she started whimpering, crying. And it was a fake cry. She couldn't she couldn't really pull it off too well. And I, I looked at her like, like she was kind of coughing instead of crying. And I put my hand on her hand. I said, you'll be fine. Her hand was so hot. It was above fever pitch. I took my hand off and I looked at her and said, are you okay? 
I said, you are, you are very hot. I said, you're, you're way above any 104, 105 degree temperature. And she, she said, no, I'm, I'm fine. And I said, okay. I said, I don't know. It's cool outside. You just have a little light sweater on. I said, usually women usually get really chilly or cold uh, during this time. I said, and you're not. And I said, you're burning hot. And then this car pulls uh, again, back, you know, on my side, this guy, the young guy with the headset. And he says, uh, and she, she says, no, I don't know him. But she kept staring at him like she did know him. And she stared at me. I had a gun in my console and I thought, okay, uh, I'm going to have to probably take some kind of defensive action here. I'm ex-military combat. So I thought maybe I'm going to have to start taking some defensive action because this could be a setup. Uh, she could be, you know, the bait. He could be the one who, who does the job. So I thought, okay. And I looked at her and she looked at me at, and looking at the console, she knew what was in that console. I can tell by looking at her. She knew what I had on my mind. She was reading my mind. Uh, and she was able to read my mind. She was also able to stare at me. And then I told her, I said, it feels like you're staring at me and burning holes in the back of my head. I said, your eye concentration is really too much, Hiroko. And so that's what she was doing, though, to to dumb me down and, and let me feel like you're relaxed. Everything's fine. Don't worry. Just sit there and observe and, and whatever and let's communicate uh, as much as we can. I, I, that's the message I was getting from her. Uh, but when a guy pulled in and out, uh, and he pulled in for the last time, the third time, he did not look. All three times he did not look. And I was, th- I was thinking, this guy is really strange. I said, I don't know what you think of that guy. But I said, there's something strange. I said, between you and him, I said, I'm not sure. And she goes, no, I, I don't know him. And uh, I, I said, okay, but we were supposed to meet. And that's what you're telling me. She goes, Yes, uh, we were supposed to meet. And I said, why? And she, again, because that was a, a curious statement. And I didn't know her, didn't know of her. And she she kept making that statement that we were supposed to meet, but she wouldn't explain it. Uh, she went and told me, she said she can speak 20 languages, but she could not read the English language. She made me read a little card that I had in the, in the car, and she's looking at it. And I read it to her, and she, she kind of smiled, and I and I said, uh, why can't you? I said, you can talk English and you can speak 20 other languages, but you can't read English. She goes, no, I can't. Then she told me she went to White Sands, New Mexico. By, I said, by yourself, not, uh, not with a group or anything. She goes, no, by myself. So why did you go there? She said, to see the white sand. And I said, a woman going by herself to see the white sand in White Sands, New Mexico. I said, okay. And I And she said, yeah, I go. I travel around a lot, and I said, you probably do, because the flags are starting to pop up, Tony. I was, I was starting to get, get the idea that this this woman was not from here, and she was seeking emotional extractions, and she was trying to learn how to be human. And I, I talked to Daryl Sims about it, and he, uh, he investigates a lot of that hybrid stuff and the implants, and he told me she sounded like somebody that was uh, just starting out. She's a novice, and they're trying to train her to, you know, to be uh, to to be able to melt into our society without being noticed. And I said, "Yeah, it sounded like to me she was trying to extract information." Uh, but she she was just kind of strange. We sat there for a while. We talked, and I got three pages of notes. I went back to my room because I knew there was something strange about her. Pretty quick, it didn't take me long. Especially when she said we were supposed to meet. That was a big thing 
that to me that I just couldn't figure out. So I told her, I said, why don't we meet for breakfast tomorrow? I said, are you game for that? And she goes, yeah, yeah. And I said, and I told her, when, you know, where we're going to meet. Uh, so she went back to her her uh, hotel, and I went back to my lodge. And the next morning we met uh, about 9.30 at this uh, one a famous restaurant there in Sedona. We got in there. There was about 10, 12 people waiting around. And there's a gift shop in there. The people were waiting and getting called for a seat reservation. And she looks around at these people, and there's only, like I said, 10 or 12. She said, all these people. I looked at her and said, all these people? She goes, yes, all these people. And I said, well, you're from Tokyo. You said you're from Tokyo. I said, you got this many people crammed in about two-foot area. <laughs> I said, you got millions of people walking around in, in Tokyo. And, I, and she just looks at me funny because she knew I started getting – I was starting to catch up on some of her her things that just didn't, you know, come out proper. So we ate. She didn't eat too much, and then we went driving around. Uh, the the there different buttes there, and uh, I gave her some water. She didn't drink much water, uh, in, and it was a thirsty day for me. So I was drinking water. And uh, out west, you usually drink more water, but uh, she she didn't drink water. We went and had a last little lunch before she said she had to leave. And then she sat there looking at me, smiling. And uh, and I said, what are you smiling about? And she says, I like you. Well, I said, I like you too, Hiroko, but I don't really know you. I said, and she says, we were supposed to meet. She said it again. I said, why are you saying that and not explaining it? And she just sat there and, and stared at me. She had a little pouch, a little black, round, tubular, canvas-looking pouch. And she went into the, the restroom. And uh, I don't know what she what she had in that that pouch. I'd be curious to see what she had. But uh, she come back out, and we sat there, and we finished talking. And then I I took her to her car, uh, rental car that she had, and she got into that, and then she took off, and that was it. But I thought, okay, I got three pages or so of notes. This is a strange encounter. She was a strange person, and I thought to myself, this story can't be over. I said, there's got to be more to this. Uh, so what I found out six months later, this is what the the, the other shoe lands. I, I, I talk about the facts that bring out the, the, the first event. Well, it was her and two other young Japanese uh, boys who visited my house in Godfrey, Illinois. Now, this is from Sedona to Illinois. And my cousin was sitting on the porch with me. I remember it was March 17th, about uh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We were both sitting there talking, and we sm smoking cigars, which we shouldn't have been doing, but we were. And it was really a nice day, 75 degrees. Uh, we looked out at the road. The road was probably about uh, 250 feet or more away from my house, the, the two-lane highway. And we saw, we saw them standing there first, and then they started walking our way. And then my cousin says, those are Chinese that are coming our way. Do you know them? I said, no, they're not Chinese or Japanese. And so he goes, oh, okay. Uh, so they walked. And the girl, I knew it was Hiroko. She folded her arms and she looked just like her. She turned her back where I couldn't see her face. And so she stayed about 150, 200 feet away where these two young guys, one looked like he was probably about 15. The other one looked like he was probably 17. Uh, these two young guys come up to us. And one of them, I noticed the young one kept uh, shaking his leg like he have, had a nervous tick or something. I looked at him and looked at the other one. 
And then they asked me where the, the new Walmart was at. And I said, it's right over this, uh, this, this overpass. I said, you'll find it over that way. Well, they wasn't looking for no Walmart. I knew it when they asked. And so after that, they dumbed us down. I don't know what they hit. They hit some kind of a little flashlight looking deal in their pockets or something. And both of us, neither one of us could talk. My cousin, who is a real big talker, when he meets somebody, he's he's asking questions left and right, and he's he's kind of a he's kind of rude sometimes in, in what he talks about to people. So, uh, but he was really totally dumbed down. So was I, because I wanted to ask him if that was Hiroko. They knew they can read my mind that I was I was on to what what was going on, and I was I was wanting to ask if that was Hiroko, the gal that I saw in Sedona. And they stood there for a while looking at us, and I looked at my cousin, and he was completely – he was looking straight ahead. They dumbed him down so much that his he couldn't move his head or eyes, and, and I could move my head and eyes, I guess, because they wanted to relate to me. So we sat there. We didn't know how long it was, but one of them apparently went in, the oldest one, went into my office area and pulled out my little brown attache case. And that's where I had the notes for uh, Hiroko, and I had other things, you know, from my UFO notes in there. So this one was looking through it, and the reason why he wanted me to be able to turn my head and look because he wanted me to see him going through my notes, and he looked up at me real strange. And they had, they both had dark eyes. Uh, I guess you can call them black-eyed kids. I don't know, I, but I all I saw was dark eyes, and they this thumbed through my papers, and he looked at me kind of funny and apparently he must have went back in put the attache case back where where uh, he got it in my office and they know how to find things they know how to they know what your mind is they can read your mind they know exactly what what they were looking for and i sat there and i looked at them and they looked at me and and i i thought something's wrong here i knew i was dumbed down but i wasn't my my brain didn't stop working it's just that i couldn't talk they took my my speech away from me, and I, I couldn't speak to them uh, because they knew I was I was trying to find out if that was Hiroko, and I know it was. I I know it was. They started walking away, and I noticed them after they passed my road in front of my house. That I noticed them there, and they started walking towards the the lady. And that's uh, Hiroko. When they met up with her, my cousin, I guess he finally woke up from the being dumbed down, and he he looked at me and he said, "What's going on?" And and I said, I'll tell you later. I said, I'm watching where these people go. I said, I know who that is. I know I know the woman. He says, Dave, he said, you and those ETs. He said, he said, someday you're going to get in a lot of trouble with them. I said, well, uh, I don't think so, but uh, you just you just been through an experience. Let's watch these people. So they walked up to the stop sign. And we must have just took our eyes off them for a second. Or right before our eyes, they disappeared. They were beamed up somewhere. They just, boom, they were gone. We looked down the road. We looked up the road. They weren't. They weren't to be found uh, in going in either direction. And my cousin was so shook up. He was starting to pace the porch, and he was turning pale. I said, "Settle down, uh, cousin." I said, "You'll be fine." He said, "Damn, Dave." He said, "He said you're going to really." He said, "This is dangerous stuff." And I said, "I said no, it's not. They're not hurting us, are they?" He said, "Well, I couldn't talk." And I said, "Well, I couldn't either." And I said. That's that's the worst they did to us. I said that's that's probably okay, and we were probably stuck with a couple more implants while they were there. But he said this is some scary stuff. He said a few other choice words, and then he he said I'm leaving and getting out of here. And he got in his truck and he took off. 
His wife, I saw her the next day, and she said, what did you do to him? I said, I did nothing to him. I said, he just got caught up in, in some ETs that, that I've been involved with. And I said, I said, now I know who they really are, because why would they make a trip out to my, uh, to my house and, and, and come and show these two young guys? And usually when they do that, uh, those are your kids, are part of your kids from a, from a high, hybridization program. They, they'll, you'll see your kids one time, and that's it. Normally, that's what they usually say. So I saw these two. I guess she was wanting me to see these two. And, and the thing was, I had a guy ask me, uh, an interviewer, uh, he'd come out and ask me the, the question. He says, what do you, who do you think those two were? He said, do you think they were your kids? Do you think they were just her little helpers or her kids? And I sat there for all thinking, and I was told by several people, one, uh, one person who was a, a real intuitive, I met her at a conference, and she told me what happened to me even before I told her. So I kind of believe what she said because she was taking the words from my brain and telling me what, what exactly happened. She said something happened to me that was very you know, uh, eventful. I said, yeah, it was an abduction. I said, yeah. And I said, uh, I met up with a hybrid. She said, yes, I'll tell you what she looks like. She told me what she looked like. She didn't see a picture. So I believed her, what she said. And other people told me they kind of looked at the pictures. That I, I got about nine pictures of this uh, gal. And they said, notice the cheekbones and the chin. Uh, they have She has uh, features kind of like you. It's not like the round face, uh, Japanese-Asian face. A uh, little bit different uh, you know, bone structure. I said, yeah, I see that. And I said, I, I kept wondering. I said, she felt like she was my daughter. And she, she kind of, it was kind of like these were my grandkids. So that's what my thoughts were. I, I paused for a while in answering that question because I didn't want to answer it with a, a yes or no. I didn't want to answer it with a, uh, with anecdotal, you know, research that I've done. So I come around and answered. I said, yes, they are part of me. I feel they were part of me. And what happened in the past where I had these these hoses, the color of the hoses were kind of brown. They always lift up your right leg where they can get into your groin area. And then they put this hose on you, and it's actually a semen collector. And when they collect the semen, then they then our DNA, whatever they're going to do, they're usually on their way. They do this at your bed. Uh, I found them a couple of times doing it at my bed. And the one time, I, I, I believe it was while I was with this Hiroko in Sedona, they come to my room uh, in, at the lodge. So, so she must have tagged me when I was kind of out of it a little bit. Uh, she must have put a tag on me or, or my car. So she was, they were able to come to my room, and the same thing happened in my room. I had my right leg up. Somebody was, had a hose and it was brown also. It was always, I don't know why it's always brown or tan looking hose. And they, they had it in my groin. And I kicked it away. And then when I kicked it away, they put me out more because they didn't want me to struggle. So they put me out more. And then I didn't remember anything uh, after that for a while. But then I had a regressed, uh, lucid dream that they were in that lodge room. They were walking me back and forth in the room. Uh, one was holding me by my my arm and the other one was was doing the light thing the light was about six inches long looked like a tubular light it was really bright and this is how they erase your memory and on the back of the light it looked like it was it was black like a little flashlight but the front of it was just open with a bright light so 
it hurt my eyes every time they passed it by, but I was able to see to the side and at the little table that they usually have in a room, there was somebody sitting there and I don't I couldn't see who it was. It was some humanoid. And I looked at, I saw the patio doors. We got close to them. Then we turned back around and they kept doing the light thing in my eyes. I, I kind of, I kept turning my head and I, I was thinking to myself, that hurts. And uh, so I finally, I guess that I didn't realize it until later I had that regressed dream that that happened in the in that lodge room. So to follow up with a little research, I asked the manager, which I knew the manager of the lodge, I said, I said, can I have the same room I had last year? And they said, sure. So I took that room and I walked back and forth where I'd had that lucid uh, a regression. And I, and I said, okay, this feels like where I was walking. And I looked at the patio doors. I said, yes, it looks like exactly what I was walking. I looked at the table. It was in the place where I saw it. And I took pictures. And again, if you draw something out or if you take pictures, it seems like it hits you. You know, it's like, wow, that, that really is what I saw and what happened to me. So when I took the pictures and I took a look at them on my computer, I, I sat back in amazement. I said, wow, that's what they were doing. That's exactly where I was walking. That's what I saw. That's where the table was at. And the light, the, they were trying to erase my memory, in which they didn't erase all of it. But I think, you know, with another thing that this Hiroko was saying, that she said about three times also, she said she had to have a baby. I said, what do you mean have a baby? And she said, well, I had to have, I have to have a baby. She said, I'm getting old. And I said, are you married? She goes, no. She said, I got a boyfriend that treats me mean. I didn't want to go into that emotional extraction. So I said, again, why do you have to have a baby? She said, I just need to have a baby. So I remember that, that she talked about that twice. So I put it together that maybe she was getting the baby from me again, uh, my semen, because there was already a couple other uh, young kids born from, from part of my semen. They split the hybrid uh, a genome up in about three different uh, ways. I think they have the, the host mother, they have the, the, the host father, in which was me at the time. But if they're dealing with women, then they take the eggs, and that makes them a host to a hybrid child. And so then they add the, uh, the alien DNA in it to make it smarter and, and the more controllable with, their, with whatever they're doing. So there's about a three-way split where they, they, uh, they cross-section the DNA. Uh, so I kind of figured she was part of me, Heroquai, and the two younger ones were part of me. They were kind of like the grandkids, and that's what she wanted to show me. And it was very, it, you know, I was kind of shocked about that. I thought, wow. So my, they've always asked me, did you ever have kids? I said, no, not of my own. I adopted a child, but I said, I never had one of my own. But uh, I thought now I, I should be able to tell them that I did have a child in, in some respect or manner that it was done in an ET lab. So, yeah, that's that's quite alarming when you find out you have kids. I've heard of other people say that too that they ran into and they had uh, they they saw their babies after you know several months. Uh, the ETs would bring them and show them the, their babies, especially women. And uh, the men, I don't think, see their children that much, but the women do. And the women take uh, you know they they get attracted to the baby because they know that baby's part them. So. Yeah, and they only show you one time, and uh, that's it. So I haven't seen them since. That's been, uh, what, nine years ago? So I haven't seen uh, her or those two since then. Uh, 
I went on, you know, after all that, I wrote it all down. I got, I got my ledger. I got to about 290 pages of a ledger now. And I've got uh, pictures of things that I've, I've, my implants. I got pictures of the hybrid. I got other pictures of, uh, of A ports. A ports are little things that, that you get as a little gift. They try to, I was told at one time they're trying to, to maintain your interest when they give you these little things. I've got, uh, four plastic discs that I got within about a, I guess, a three year period. And, uh, I've got, uh, and, and I hold those really dear to me because those were strange. I got one before I got married in 2012 and it was down by my feet in the bathroom and I saw it and I picked it up as a little dark, uh, plastic thing. I said, Oh, this is weird. Maybe it come off a piece of clothing or something. So I put it on the dresser. I just saved it. Well, a few months later, uh, after I got married, a few months later, I got another one. It was on my bedroom floor and I looked down and I, I said, okay, something's going on. And I told my wife, I said, I got two of these things now. And I know it wasn't her putting them there because I got one before I married her. So I, she said, well, keep them. She said, they, they might be special. I said, yeah, they are. I, I am keeping them. And, uh, we moved to Alaska for a couple of years and to, to show you how they can follow you and they know where you're at. We went from Illinois to Alaska. My wife had a consulting uh, contract up there for a couple of years. So we went there a couple of years. And uh, I found up there that I went to a rotary meeting with a professor friend who was actually leasing the house that we were we were leasing at that time. And we went to the rotary meeting. And I saw a gentleman there. He's kind of heavy set. And I, I thought I saw him before at the St. Louis Museum, and my brother was with me. My older brother was with me at the time, and he saw this guy, too. It kind of looked like him, and he was sitting in the chair, and I walked past him. And I went to the bathroom, come back, and then I ate the salad and talked to the professors a little bit. It's really neat to talk to a whole room full of professors that works on the military projects, but they weren't talking anything top secret, uh, of course. And my the friend of mine that leased me the uh, the house, he, he wouldn't talk uh, anything, just that he worked at Nassau and he did some uh, some snow drilling, ice drilling in uh, the Arctic. And uh, so uh, so he's been involved, so he knows a few things. And I asked him if he believed in UFOs. He said, oh, yeah, there's life out there. But he would be short because, you know, to the questions. That were, I mean, he'd answer it really short. When I got back from that rotary meeting, I changed my clothes. I was in business casual clothes. And then I changed my clothes into the the warmer uh, weather clothes, uh, which was well minus twenty at the time, probably. So I took I took things out of my pocket, and then something stuck to my finger in my left pocket as I was grabbing my keys. I pulled it out, and it was stuck to my finger. It was another different color one. The second one was eggshell color. First one was kind of dark gray. The third one's kind of bronze color, and I, it was on my finger like it was magnetized. And I, I pulled it off my finger and I said, oh, my God, I got another disc, you know, and I, I, I sat down on the bed and I was just really then I think I, I had a little bit of cold chills going up my body. I said, this this is really now this is really serious. I, this is something that's going on uh, that I don't know anything about. So I told my wife about it. And, and so I got three of them. But uh, it was it was a year less than a year later. It was outside in the snowpack and actually you can drive on snowpack in Alaska because it's dry snow 
And uh, so you can get traction on it. Uh, so it was stuck on the snowpack as I was, it was on my side of the car going to my, my car. And it, I could, I'd had, I'd had to cross it or, you know, the, the path of it to get to my car. So my wife actually saw it first. She looks down, she said, what's that red thing? She said, isn't that one of those discs? So she picked it up and, and she said, yeah. And then she showed it to me and I said, yeah, that that's the same size. It's, it's a, it's a red disc. So, I found two of them in Alaska and two of them in Illinois, so they mean a lot to me. Those are A-ports. Those are things that uh, come to you through the dimensional uh, walls or something that ETs are bringing to you, and they leave it uh, for you to let let you know that they, they still have interest in you. They want you to have interest in them. Also, I think a lot of times they want you to talk about your experiences to people to like slowly let people know what's going on. And Tony, you're, you're doing that yourself. You're, you, you're a host on a radio show and you put that information out and you have guests like me to talk about their experiences. I think that's what uh, the ET's intentions are is for us actually to get that information out. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, I, I'm not sure, you know, I never really thought about it that way as far as whether they want us to talk about it or not. Uh, I, I just talk about it because I think, well, I have a natural fascination by this kind of stuff. I, as far as I can recollect, I, I've never had anything happen to me, uh, but I, I'm fascinated by these stories and I enjoy hearing other people's experiences. And I think that it's good for us as you know human beings to hear other people's stories because that's how we learn. Like there is no textbook about this stuff. I mean, w- the way we learn about this is about hearing people's experiences, like you, and uh, you're able to you know relay your your story to us and we know people take notes and they they start comparing things and they start hearing your story and they compare it to somebody else's story and all of a sudden pieces of the puzzle start coming together and that's one of my biggest motivating factors for doing this kind of stuff is to kind of just you know be able to take people's stories which i believe is a piece of a puzzle and put it out there for the world to consume uh as far as them wanting us to talk about it, i'd never thought about that before yeah i've talked to other uh, experiencers and they told me that i'm doing the right thing by telling you know my events uh, over the air, letting people know, and I've been on quite a few uh, guest shows, and what I'm timing myself now for is because I had some new events happen. I, I need to get those in, but uh, I've had a lot of things happen to me. My neighbors have seen bright lights in my backyard. They've heard noises like a whizzing noise, and they they hid under their beds. They were kind of like chickens. I said, "Why do you, why did you why don't you look outside and see what it was?" She goes, "We were scared to." She said, "We saw lights and we saw this uh, the vibrations." And I said, "Wow!" So and I had neighbors see things around my house at that time with the activity. So I have actually got some eyewitness reports, and there was a man in black in behind my yard. And my brother-in-law, uh, God bless his soul, he passed away about four years ago. But he's him and my sister, come. they come out of their house, and they lived at one end of the block. And my mom lived about four houses down from me. So it was kind of like an Emmons Street, basically. So uh, when they come out of their house, they saw this tall guy. He had a long uh, uh, coat, black coat, and he had a black hat. His, his, uh, his coat was blowing around in the wind because there's a kind of a storm coming up. So they looked at it for a while, and uh, my brother-in-law is a skeptic. He doesn't he doesn't believe in anything hardly, and uh, but he told me the next day he said that he saw something. It was a, a tall guy in black and had uh, you know a black long coat on. He said, "I did see it, Dave." He said, "I, I have to be honest with you." He said, I, "He said I know you know I'm a skeptic, but he said I saw it, and so did my sister, and so did my mom when she came out of the house because they were picking her up." 
And she looked over and she saw the same thing. So people were seeing things around my house that I didn't see, but they saw and they told me about it, uh, uh, you know, as, you know, later on. And I had a had a buddy. We went to the Arkansas convention, the UFO convention, and he wanted to stay over. He lives in northern Illinois. I'm in southern Illinois. He wanted to stay over so he can shoot my John Wayne Winchester rifle. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> I said, you like it that much? He said, yeah. He loved it. So, uh, so he, something happened to him that night. He didn't tell me for two, three months later. Uh, but he told me, he finally told me, and he said, Dave, he said, I don't want to scare you. He said, but when I was in, in that room sleeping in your extra spare bedroom, he said, he said, I felt something that night. I said, Oh, what'd you feel? He said, I felt like something was rubbing up against my feet walking by me. He said, I've been a ghost, uh, you know, researcher myself. He said, before I got involved in UFOs. And he said, that was not a ghost. He said it was something solid, something invisible. And he said he felt it twice. It rubbed up against his other leg. Uh, and he said, uh, and he said he couldn't sleep the rest of the night, said he was scared and he didn't want to tell me. And I told him, I said, Hey, buddy, I said, you know, a lot of things that's been happening to me. I said, that wouldn't have scared me. I said, I know that they're there and they're just checking you out, I guess. So, but, uh, see, other people have seen things around me that make me, that gives me more legitimacy about how I feel, what I felt, and what has happened to me. And my mom and two brothers saw the big triangle craft uh, April 9th, uh, 2011. Like I said, a lot of things happened in 2010, 2011, and 2012. And this huge, huge, I mean, it was huge. It covered the whole uh, block or the whole street, and there's about nine houses long. And it was it was really low. It actually clipped the, the tree on uh, the other opposite side of me, and it had two big bright white lights on the back tail end. And I saw them coming at a distance, and it come right over me. The center of the ship come right over me, and I looked up, and there was some kind of beveled thing underneath it in the design, and then it had a round thirty foot diameter. It looked like slats, like a like a vent type of thing and i heard a hissing and buzzing sound coming out of it uh, and then i looked on the back near the back it had a little red light and in the front in which surprised me there was two glass globes they looked like there's about 15 feet long maybe five or six feet wide two of them back to back in the front i don't know if they those turn into the bright lights and that's their propulsion system but they were not lit up. They were just like plain glass globes, like these old-fashioned globes you put in industrial lights. They're just uh, a glass globe-looking thing. And that I couldn't find out. I got a buddy that even wrote a book on uh, on triangles, uh, Dave Marler. I had him on as a guest about three weeks ago. And he could not tie that in to a lot of their sightings. And I said, well, I, that's what I saw. I said, I saw these two glass globes. I was right underneath of this craft. I could I could throw a, a marble up and hit it. It was that close, just pitch it up. It was only about 40, 50 feet off the ground. And I thought, that's huge. And that's that's a huge ship to be that low uh, because most of our ships would need a little bit bigger, uh, a higher altitude in order to maintain uh, lift. So I thought something was really wrong. It was only traveling about 30 miles an hour. It went over me, and I was just in awe how huge it was. I've seen several ufos before that but this thing was so huge uh, and i thought to myself why did it fly over me and my mom and my two brothers i asked them if they saw it and they said my mom said see it 
she said it scared me to death. She said it was. She said I was afraid to step out on the porch. I was afraid I was going to get abducted. And uh, she's had some uh, some also events in her lifetime in which ties into the family thing. Uh, they they kind of mess with with the family, the DNA. Uh, they follow family uh, uh, DNA patterns. So she's had some events in her lifetime, and she shared them with me here the last two three years. And she's ninety two now, and she still. She'll tell me some of the stories, but she said there's some I just can't tell you, you know, because she was kind of like molested or, you know, in the bed or whatever. So she doesn't want to get into those kind of stories, but she's had a past. And so that's where I get mine from. But we all saw this, this huge, you know, triangle. I called into the police and I said, did anybody else see it? Any of your officers see this thing out in Godfrey? And they said, no, we haven't had anybody tell us. And I said, well, you probably think I'm crazy, don't you? You're laughing. She goes, no, we're not laughing. She said, I got two sheriff deputies in here now. They're not laughing. And uh, she said, I said, why Why aren't they laughing? She goes, because, uh, you know, they've seen things themselves. And we've seen things happen like that, too. She said, so you're not, they're not the first to see these big uh, triangle UFO craft. I said, "Oh wow, that makes me feel good. Then I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a dummy or not uh, some kind of a fake." She goes, "No, you're not. We believe you." She said, "No, our officers haven't seen this one." She said, "We don't know anything about it." So, yeah, so it's a uh, pretty getting pretty prominent with the police because the police see things a lot when they're out on their their routes and they're, they're driving around. They'll see things. So a lot of the police have have uh, they're open minded about it because uh, they know things are. You know, they take reports, people call them, and they know that these things are, are real. They exist. Uh, the police probably don't know what they are, neither do we. We don't know where they come from. Nobody can give us answers. I don't have the answers. All I have is, is my experiences. And then I saw another UFO when I was in, coming out of Springfield, Illinois, and that was a weird night, but it's too long to get into. But uh, I was on the highway going, Highway 55 going south. And this object was coming north, and it was a bright light at first. I looked at it. I thought, well, maybe it's a traffic helicopter. This was about uh, 10.30 at night, and it was really bright. And I slowed my car down because it was getting close to where I was at. I slowed it down, and this thing passed right over me. And there was about six other cars on the road next to me, near me on the highway, two-lane highway. But this thing passed exactly right over me, and I looked out the window, saw up underneath of it, and it was it was – it was a smaller craft. It was probably about 30 feet wide, like the first one I, I saw. But it had a. It looked like it had uh, glass panels on the bottom. I know they weren't glass, but they were they were lit, you know, like there was a light. It was like pie-shaped cuts. And in the center, is a, a large, dark ring in the center. And I didn't see on top of the craft, but I saw the bottom of it. So I, I kept thinking to myself, why am I seeing all these things? Why are these things happening to me? Uh, I've seen five of them, uh, you know, up, up close. So uh, I know I know what they look like. I've seen I've seen uh, three of them that are close enough to know that there's no nuts or bolts and they're all smooth. So uh, that's part of it. And I, I was abducted in uh, also 2011. I think during the time Hiroko was was probably still uh, searching around with me. Uh, I felt this electrical shock behind me on my bed and I was uh I was laying there it was about 1 30 in the afternoon I just laid there rest my back I wasn't I don't like naps I, naps make me feel weird so I don't take naps I just laid there stretching my back because I got a bad back 
And it was really sunny that day, and I was looking out the, the door, and it was really sunny, and I heard the snapping and cracking behind me, and I thought, what is that? It, it sounded like the electrical wire was snapping really loud. I started turning around, and then it hit me in the shoulder, and it straightened me out. I was kind of stiff, and I thought, oh, oh, no. I said, they're back. You know. Then I tried to turn again to take a look at what it was, and it hit me really strong that time, and I, was, I, was, I couldn't move. All I could move was my eyes, and I was looking out the door from my bed, and uh, all I could see is the door. I had my left hand up up against the uh, headboard, and the next thing I heard was my sister's voice in the hallway saying, come on, Dave, you can do it. You can do it. And I said, do what, sissy? I knew her voice, so I knew that's who it was. And I, she said, you can do it. I said, come to the door and talk to me. She said, I can't. I can't come to the door. I said, why not? Come to the door where I can see you. And uh, and I, then I didn't hear her any, anymore. The the big hit, the really, uh, I guess, the bottom line on that story is my sister passed away four years uh, before that. So she was speaking from another dimension wow. or wow. coming through the ETs. So do you think that the ETs had access to her, you know, maybe memory? Or do you think that it was actually her talking? Uh, it sounded like her talking, but, you know, they can take they can take your memories from your brain. They can upload things, and if they, I had a, I, I had one night with a hose stuck between my legs. One night, uh, this happened in between all the other events. Uh, that's why I think these, these, uh, these two young Japanese were were part of me because I saw my right leg up up in the air again. It's always the right leg. They go in with the hose, and I looked up and I saw it was a friend of mine. It, it was a face of a friend of mine, and I thought, I guess they they mask. Uh, uh, the aliens mask themselves. They shapeshift into. They read your brain of your friends and stuff, and they they get a face of your friend where you might feel comfortable with them. But I don't feel comfortable even with my friend doing that. So I, I did the same thing. I tried to move back and scoot away from it, and then they knocked me out. And then I I don't remember anything after that. But that's another semen sample that they they took. Uh, but that's that's why I think that this heroical thing goes deeper than what uh, I even uh, could imagine. Uh, the other thing, I guess, getting into, I want to get into what's been going. I, I had other things happen to me. Quite a few things happened to me out, traveling out west and everything. But I want to get into the, the new events uh, that's happened to me back starting February 6th of this year. My wife left for Philippines. She's uh, Her grandbaby was going to be born, so she wanted to be there. And, and even with all this uh, virus talk, and there was virus around then when she left, but uh, we rerouted the plane to straight the Philippines, and the Philippines didn't have a problem then when she left, but uh, we didn't know it was going to scatter all over the world like it did, and she was kind of stuck there. She couldn't get out, so it took me several days of talking to different people, the State Department, the embassy, and none of them did their job. Uh, they're not there to help us. They say they are. They just pat their backs uh, or their own backs, but uh, that's another story. But, uh, but it was uh, February 6th. And uh, I heard my alarms go off, uh, the motion sensors. And this alarm system, I have it on the, in the front door, front windows, and I have it at the back door. And it's a two-story uh, condo. And this, I have uh, these, this uh, bell that's in the bedroom that tells me when somebody's inside uh, downstairs. So I heard this thing go off. It was about 1230 at night. And I was just, just crawling in the bed, and I was trying to uh, sleep. I heard this thing go off, and I said, oh, my goodness, this this thing works. It, it's it perfect. It works perfect. It's never failed. 
we've had it, I guess, going on a year. Batteries were good. Everything was uh, was coming, working really good. And it went off. So I grabbed my weapon. I grabbed a flashlight. I went, I thought about calling the police. That's how, how well I, de- I depended on this system to work. I know it works. Uh, there's, it doesn't fail. So I walked downstairs. I decided not to do that, call the police. I walked downstairs with my gun and my flashlight. I searched all the rooms downstairs. Nothing. I checked the system. They worked fine. Batteries were operating. Everything was working fine. So I said, okay, I went back upstairs and then I, uh, tried to go back to bed and two hours later it went off again. I said, Oh no. And so I laid there this time with my weapon and my flashlight. So I laid there to listen for noises for a while. And then I, I went back to sleep. And then two hours later, this was around, I guess, four or five o'clock. It went off again. And I thought I was dreaming and I looked up and I heard the, the alarm going off, uh, it was this down by my bed, the way it's plugged into a wall outlet, and it was ringing again. I said, oh, no. I said, they're back. And that's the first thought coming to my mind, they're, they're back. And then just close to 8 o'clock, it went off again. And my wife called me to let me know that she, she you know, was settled into the Philippines and everything was fine. I said, great. I said, I've had about five alarms during the night. The system works good. First thing out of her mouth is, is uh, she said, your friends are back, aren't they? And I said, yeah, I think so. So I put out a trail cam, and uh, Linda Moulton Hall asked me. I talked to her about this, and she asked me, she said, why did you put out a trail cam on your kitchen table? And I said, because my alarm system went off five or six times. And I said, it, it was acting weird, like something was in the house moving around. And I said that I felt that they, they were back. And so I put the trail cam up and, and I started getting pictures right away. Uh, I got orbs in the uh, front room in the hallway and, and I got uh, the shadow man. Uh, he stuck his head out around uh, the camera area. I could see the shadow of his head. His head was kind of elongated. It wasn't round or bulbous. It looked like a smooth head. And uh, I thought, oh, shadow, that's what they see as a shadow person. Uh, not quite, because I did get pictures of him walking up my stairs, going upstairs to, to the bedrooms. And my camera took, I had some frames. I had it on the on picture then until I changed it over the video. And it, it, there was three shots. It, it was a white. It had rings around the uh, the leg, it looked like, and on the body. I couldn't see. I just saw half the body, the the arm and leg and the side, and it had three rings and uh and I it was white. And then I saw it uh, going up the steps. Another picture took it a couple of seconds later. It took another picture of it walking up the steps. Then the third shot was when this thing was uh you know looking around the wall and looking back at the camera to see if it was still uh, working, taking sh- you know shots of him. So I got those three in a row. I sent those to a, a MUFON investigator, a friend of mine, and I sent them to another friend of mine who knows a lot about UFOs. I sent them there, but the, the biggest picture that I got, this was a video, and this scared me really bad. Uh, I've never seen a reptilian up close. I've seen other aliens up close, but not a reptilian. I saw one in, in my bedroom. And it stood there about five and a half feet tall, looked like a cobra. It only appeared for about five, six seconds, and then it disappeared, and I was scared to death. That was one of the little things, but I just, I'm just saying that 
I did see a reptilian where it would just it just flashed in my room, showed itself to me, and then flashed back. I was getting up to take a, a leak, so I, I looked over and I saw this thing. I said, Wow, what is it? It looks like a snake, it looks like a cobra's head. And snakes scare me, especially cobras. So I was <laughs> I forgot about going to the bathroom. I, I just uh I I got out my web and I thought and then I looked under the bed. I thought I thought it was a snake that crawled under my bed and I then I come finally come to my senses and I said Oh no, I know what this is now. You know, the gun's not going to do any good and looking on the bed's not going to do any good. So I, I got away from that idea, but it scared me enough. But in this picture that I got, and I still need to get it uh, refined, I need to take out some of the noise and, and brighten it up a little bit. This picture has, this video has uh, something facing my camera. You can see it moving. And from what I saw, it's the side of its head. It was looking sideways at the camera. And I saw like dark sprigs of dark hair uh, on on its face and on its uh, its chin area in which it was turned. And then when it turned up from the camera, I saw its eyes. Uh, the one the the right eye blinked twice, and I saw the eye. It was it was yellow color. Uh, I and I thought, oh my god, what is this? I thought it was a gray. So I sent this to my two friends who usually look over things and they give me an outside opinion. Like I said, I try to get things verified. And then this MUFON director of uh, investigations, he, he wrote me back. Uh, and then he also called me that same afternoon. He said, Dave, he said, that's not a, that's not a, a gray. He said, that's a reptilian, buddy. I said, really? He said, yeah, that's a reptilian. And he said, the other thing that you got there, he said, that's a Michelin man. I said, I've never heard of Michelin Man. And he sent me a copy of an interview that he did with a colonel that worked with guys or worked with ETs that, that looked like Michelin Men. They were, had these white suits and they had you know rings around them and they called them Michelin Men. And they actually, the, the military worked with them. He said, this colonel, I, I looked at the interview and the, my, my friend was interviewing him and he actually said, yes, we worked with the, those people that we call Michelin Men. And uh, he said those that's was their suits that they wore, and I thought to myself, my goodness, I didn't know that. So he told me uh, this was an outside, you know, opinion. He told me what it was, and my other buddy said the same thing. He said, "Yes, you have something obviously on your camera." And then I got I got orbs also uh, that I've seen in my. I, as a matter of fact, I had orbs last night. Uh, I leave it out. I still leave the camera out uh, because the alarm went off yesterday. And I don't know why it went off. So it was it was like in, at nighttime it went off again. So I thought, well, something's back. So when I I started taking videos with my trail camera on my on my kitchen table, I've been catching orbs uh, traveling around in my in my hallway in, in the in my kitchen, and they're actually triggering the camera to come on. This camera works really good. It's got to be something that triggers it. It's got to be some kind of movement. Uh, it's a nice camera. It's infrared, and but it doesn't just shoot pictures just randomly. What it does, it it only shoots pictures if something gets in its its uh its motion detector area, and then it'll, it'll start shooting pictures. Then, so that's that's what's been happening to me lately, and I'm still monitoring what's going on and why. For about four or five weeks, they were here pretty steady. Uh, I actually picked them up with my tri-field meter. The uh, uh, the you know, the magnetism I was picking up was pretty high. I uh, even had my brother walk through and, and uh, check the magnetism. And then I told him where the outwall outlets are at and the computer. 
area. I said, don't get close to that. You have to get out in the middle of a room away from all the electrical things. And I said, that's where you'll find him. And uh, so uh, that's where he, they were at for a while. They were inside the house. Uh, they're invisible. Uh, Dr. Young of uh, Oxford University come out with a finding here last year that he said ETs are invisible. And that's why they can move around, uh, you know, and get around close to you in your house, walk through your walls. So this thing that looked like a reptilian, I'm still trying to get find somebody that will clean it up, a video expert. And I went through trying to clean it up myself a little bit, but uh, you can actually see it. Uh, I don't know why Linda Moulton Hall couldn't see it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe she's going to use it. I don't know. But uh, they they say they couldn't see it, and I see it just as – and other people who see it on the widescreen, uh, uh, you know, my widescreen uh, with my computer, you can see this thing undulating its jaws or whatever because it was looking at the red – uh, infrared light diodes that were kind of flickering off and on and he was looking at them and I think that's why he was grimacing and he raised his head up and there you saw the eyes and I show people I said see the eye is batting twice and it's yellow the eye is iris color is yellow and I said it had whites in its eyes and I said that's uh, that's reptilian and when people see it on the widescreen they can see it better uh, you know, people have to take an effort to, to see something like this because you, you're not going to get really good shots of, of something like that. They're not going to do that. Uh, this this is a way that he was just letting me know that they were in this house. He got through my door. He got past two uh, motion detectors, and I, I don't know how they did it. So that's the scary part of the, what's been going on the last couple of months. And like I said, I still have I still have orbs that are in my house. Uh, will they come back? I'm not sure, but I don't know why they were here for about five weeks and now, now they're gone. Uh, that's that's something weird. They come and they go in your life. You don't know why they do and why they, they stick around for a while and then they leave. Uh, and there's no answers to any of it. I, I can't come up with an answer. Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, the fact that they're popping up right now, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, is it is this whole thing that like you're sharing with me, is that something that you typically talk about a lot? It sounds like this is something that you, is really part of your regular life. Uh, yes, it, it is something I, I, well, my family, they all know it. And my mom, tell you the truth, after I told her I had a reptilian on my camera and I tried to show it to her on the phone, she doesn't have a computer and you can't really see it when it's small like that. But she, she called me the next day because she didn't hear from me. She said, are you all right, Dave? Because she knows she's had she's had experiences too that scared her, and I told her this reptilian was in my house, and she goes, "Oh no, oh my!" You know, because she's had experiences, so she believed. My whole family knows, you know, my my events. They they know what's happened to me. Matter of fact, some of my brothers have seen UFOs, and they've had some experiences in bed, and they can't tell what it was. They they didn't have the regression like I did, or they didn't come close to a UFO. My one brother might have come close to a, a giant. Uh, triangle uh but uh they've had experiences my sister has had experiences my brother just had an experience he's a skeptic a few months ago he said he felt like something was on him like a weight was on him and he he said it wasn't sleep paralysis because he can move a little bit but he said he felt numb and i said well you might have just been abducted and you don't know it so it's it's kind of like 50 percent of the people that's been abducted they don't know that they don't even really know they've been abducted. They wake up in the morning and say, oh, that was a bad dream. They scratch their head uh, and go to the bathroom, and then they start their day, 
and they don't think about it anymore because they don't really have all the connections from the dream. It didn't regress to them properly, or they they didn't. It was totally erased. Sometimes they leave bits and pieces, and I've had regressions where I've had uh, some very lucid dreams, being on board a ship uh, three, four times, I believe it was, and also having having sex with one uh, in one incident that I remember, and uh, so. That was weird, too. Uh, I can probably tell you that story real quick. It was a regressed dream. I've had, had them in my childhood, too. Uh, I mean, they, they go back to my childhood because I was young. In one of the regressed dreams, I was on another planet with two sons, and the people were just, they looked just like us. And I was messing around with some kids in a, in a room, looked like an apartment building-like. And we went outside, and out in the, out in the it was looked like, there was wood, there was lumber there, and there was trees there. They looked like evergreen trees. And there was a river not too far away. I can see the river. And then I looked up in the sky. I saw two suns. And I said, wow, two suns. And I, I walked around a little bit, and I sat by this young girl. I, I didn't really see their faces too well, but I knew that they were humans. And I asked her, I said, do you believe in God? And she didn't answer. And she looked over my head, and I saw this man in black. He was standing on some steps, and he was looking at me, and he motioned for me to come over to him. And when I was walking over to him, I found these little toys. They looked like they was carved out of, uh, I guess, maybe a crystal or whatever. And I picked them up, and I put them in my pocket. I thought I did. And this this man in black motioned for me to walk down this this trail. This uh, It was a, a boardwalk, kind of. He told me, walk that way. He said, you got to go. And I looked at him like... I, I didn't say anything, but I, I thought, I got to go. Why? I, I wanted to stay longer. And so I, I walked down this path like he told me, and I, I come back into my bed, and I woke up. I said, oh, wow, what a lucid dream that was. And I was told when, you, when you're when you on a planet uh, with two suns that uh, that's a you actually went dimensional to that planet. Uh, usually when people see the two suns, that's an indication that, that you went to another planet. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's something to have all these these things come to you. But I, I'm always a believer that that you have to have a seed, a good seed planted. That means you have to be close to a UFO, and and then if you have regressed dreams, it ties into that UFO abduction, and it it, it tells you that okay, you're connecting the dots here, and that's why I always say you always have to have a fact follow a fact. And and once you do, you get a chain of effects, then you kind of figure out, okay, this is where it's all at. This is what's happening, and this is this is what's really going on. Uh, do I have the answers, who they are, what they are? I no, I don't. Uh, I've got some pictures of you know of uh, some of the activity that I've had here, but I didn't get any pictures in my earlier life or in '96. A lot of times, people say, well, you know, I got to have pictures. You know, I said, well, you can't. I said, when you're around a UFO or if you're close to a UFO, like I, I have been several times, the camera won't work anyway. Your batteries will explode. I've had people ask me, does your trail camera, does the, does the batteries explode? I said, no. I said, they're wanting me to see this for some reason. They're wanting me to see that there's activity here in my house. And uh, so they, they'll show you what they want to show you. Uh, if, they, if they do show you something that you, they mean to show it to you, there's a reason for them showing it. Otherwise, they you won't see nothing. 
Uh, you know, it's just like you might just see orbs in the sky. I don't pay attention to orbs in the sky really because I, I gotta have, I gotta be close up to actually tell what it is, uh, because I've had the experiences of, of close up ships. So, uh, I, I want to see them more close up and I actually want to talk to these beings and, and ask them what the hell is going on? You know, what are you doing? I mean, what kind of a program am I in? I know I've given semen several times and I have, I have several children, I believe, but I don't, uh, you know, I don't know what are the plans they have for me and why were they back for five weeks and now they're gone. Uh, it's, it's a strange, strange question. If, if I could show you the pictures, uh, Tony, you, you would, you would know what I'm talking about. And uh, you see them in succession. You click one, click another, click another in succession. You'll see the movement of what went on uh, with a couple of these. And then I, I turned on my video to capture more movement. And so, uh, but when you get a reptilian in your camera, yeah. I don't, and, and you don't know how it got in there in your house. There wasn't any alarms that went off, and this thing showed its face to you and looked right into your camera. It's trying to tell you something. I don't know what it's trying to tell me, but I was scared. I usually don't get scared uh, about these things, these events that happen. Even my wife accepts them. She's an ac academic person. She's got a master's and she's a consultant. But she, since she's been with me almost eight years. She knows things goes on. She knows that she's been touched her leg and she had a scrape on her back that we couldn't figure out what it was. And even the skin doctor couldn't figure out what it was. It was right on her, right on her back, uh, on her spinal column. They must have taken skin, uh, grafted some skin for, uh, I guess a, a DNA test. They were testing her since she's married to me now. And she woke up several times. She said, she said, honey, did you, t you touch me or anything? I said, no. And then she said, would you look around the house? I think your friends are back. I said, I said, it wouldn't do any good. I said, if I look around the house, I wouldn't see them anyway. It said they're invisible. And I said, a lot of times they'll go invisible or shape shift or whatever. And, and you don't, you really can't track them down. So yeah, she's aware, but she's not a UFO hunter or she's not involved in UFOs, but she's very much aware of what I've been through. And then she's had some things happen to her that tells her, that yes, that, that I'm real, that there's things really going on, even though she's an acad academia person, she, she believes me and, uh, she, you know, she looks at my pictures and she'll, she'll kind of decipher them. She's really good at deciphering pictures. And sometimes I'll get a shot like I was in Alaska and I, I'd get a shot on my trail cam and, uh, she would, she would uh, show me, you know, she's okay. This belongs here. This belongs here. This could be that this could be that. I said, good. I wanted unbiased opinion. And that's why, that's why I, why I take an approach for people to look at my, my pictures, uh, whatever I get. I wanted unbiased opinion because, uh, the ETs have it planted in my head that, that they are following me and there is an interest, uh, uh they're, ha they have an interest in me. I have an interest in them I'm trying to figure out what it's all about. Uh, consciously, I, I don't, I don't know what it's all about, but, uh, I was, like I said, I was, I've been, I, I was going into this one thing. Okay. I was going to talk about the sex thing. A lot of people are, uh, you know, some, some guys, people, some guys don't like to talk about it. I had a guest the other day. I said, well, go ahead and explain it. Don't get really nitty gritty. I said, but you know, explain it. So I'll talk about this one. I, I showed up in this ship and the ships are all metallic walls. And the floors are made of something else different. I can't really tell what it is. It's a little softer than metal. But uh, the walls are metallic. 
And I walked into this this uh, this hallway, about five, six feet wide and about eight feet tall. I walked in, and there was a, an older gentleman. I know he was a humanoid, older gentleman, uh, and he had the kind of white clothes on. I didn't see his face. I guess they, they removed that uh, from my memory, and I saw his arm. And his arm had blue patches on it, and he had fine hairs on his arm. I guess seeing his arm is letting me know that uh, they're humanoid. This was a hybrid blue alien because he had he had blue spots on him, and he must have been a hybrid of a human and a blue alien. And the blue aliens were very, I, they were in India. If you you look at the you know ancient aliens history and and you and you le- read these documentaries, uh, there was blue aliens in India uh, back about two thousand, three thousand, uh, you know, five six thousand years ago. And so this was a blue alien. I thought a hybrid. I knew he. I felt that he was older. I might might have seen his face, but that they erased it. And then he motioned for me to go to this uh, gal. She was laying on the floor to her back to me. She was, and she had a a white blanket or covering over. He told me telepathically, get down in behind her, and mate. So I did. It really felt like mating. It really, you know, it, it felt like I was going through the motions. And then I got up. And then he he does he did something at a panel. Now, mind you, there's no meters, there's no indicator lights or nothing. It's just a kind of a metal panel I've seen before, and it has it has round little round things on on the outside of the panel. It looks like the same metal as the walls are, and they they touch these panels with their hand, and they can they can give commands to it. And uh, he told me to turn around, walk back down that hallway. And, that it was, uh, you know, metallic walls, like I said, and I walked down the hallway and I must have disappeared and I come back in my bed. And again, I woke up and I thought they always, it, when you have those lucid dreams like that, you come back and you're, you're kind of like shocked said, wow, is this part of what I've seen when I was abducted? And so a lot of these regressed dreams are coming to me. They haven't lately. I think I got probably all I'm going to get that I remember. They only give you bits and pieces. Uh, what they what they want you to know, uh, so and uh, so that was the same thing that happened to me. Uh, I can talk about this one uh, too. This alien that I met, uh, it was it was a regressed lucid dream. I was I got on board this ship. It was huge. I it was a hallway. It was a pretty big hallway, and I started walking down this hallway, and I looked to the side, and there were cubicles like offices, and I saw entities in there. They looked human like. And I couldn't, I couldn't recognize their face. Like I said, that's what's erased. They can, they can pick and choose what they want to erase on you. And I walked down this hallway and I saw another cubicle and I walked into this big room. It, it kind of opened up to a huge, kind of like a conference center. And there's three podiums there. And I saw all these entities there. Like I said, I couldn't make out what they look like, but I saw the one, the closest podium that I saw was raised up above the people and it had somebody holding uh, a rope or something on this one animal. It looked like a part kangaroo and part something else. I knew it was like two animals combined. And I said, wow, you know, I thought right away they're experimenting with, with life forms. And I thought I was on, I was on Noah's Ark. Uh, that's, that's what I felt while I was actually in the dream. I felt I'm on, I'm on a kind of a mothership that's kind of a Noah's Ark and they plant different life forms on different planets. They seed the planets with different life forms. Uh, that's what this ship was all about. 
So I started walking back, and then I looked down at my right foot, and I saw a black box following me. And I read about this black box uh, uh, early, you know, later on after I, I saw that, and they said that other people have seen the black box traveling with them while they're on board ship. And a lot of people claim that they, they store your soul in that black box because they don't want to you know, tamper with your soul. And I said, that sounds kind of drastic. How, they, how can they extract your soul, put it in a black box? They're protecting your soul or your, your spirit, and they're just utilizing your body and your consciousness to, to see what they want to show you. So I, walked, I kept walking down. I kept watching this black box following me like it's floating on air or something. And then I saw these uh, females, looked like females as in white robes, and they were looking at something. And I peered in between them. And there was a human baby about six months old, and he had three eyeballs. He had right there. They were not like the Cyclops up in the center of the forehead. They were they were right even with the eyes, the other two eyes. And there were three eyeballs across his his uh, eye spectrum, I guess you can call it. So I said, whoa, three eyes. That said something weird. And then I turned and looked down the hallway, and here comes this tall woman, about seven feet tall. She had no hair. She was very light-complected. She wore like a two-piece. It was a tan brown color. They must their favorite color, color must be brown or tan because that's what I see a lot on. It was a two-piece, uh, like a short mini skirt and a, and, a, and a top. And she was very well proportionate. Uh, you you know you couldn't get any better uh, shape of a human form than than that. I heard that from uh, Travis Walton also when he said that he saw these beings that were really super. Uh, you know, they had uniforms on, but she didn't. She just had a two-piece on. She walked up to me, and I looked up at her, and uh, and then she motioned for me to, you know, go over to the wall. So I went over to the wall. It was the same wall I saw on this other ship that, that just had the, the little round things sticking out that had no markings. They had no meters or nothing, no lights. And she touched it, and when she did, she disappeared. And then she come back. And I think she was testing the system uh, to make sure that uh, uh, we were going to be beamed back properly. So I asked her, I looked up, I said, how'd you do that? She looked at me kind of funny and she grimaced. I had a guy tell me in which it really hit me. And I said, yeah, probably so. Uh, the reason why she just made a little grimace because she, she thinks we're too lowly to talk to, that we're not uh, smart enough to understand what they're doing anyway. And that's true. So maybe that's why they treat us like uh, like zoo animals or something. But I noticed when she touched the uh, the panel, uh, I noticed her arm also, and her arm had light, fine hairs too. And I thought, why are they just showing me the arm and the light, fine hairs? I think maybe they're trying to tell me that they're humanoid in nature. So she turned and looked at me like, and she told me telepathically to follow her. She went down this 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 hallway again, same thing, five six feet wide, about eight feet tall. She went down it. She disappeared, and I walked in behind her, and I disappeared. And I guess I was beamed back to my bed. And again, after that dream, I woke up, and I said, "My God!" And I started writing things down. And I thought, I don't need to write this stuff down. This is this is burned in my memory. And uh, they left it there just just to show me uh, that that I am having real events, and they'll only show you what they want to show you. So uh, their faces they they don't show you much, but I saw her face. She had she had she had large dark looking eyes. She had a nose and a mouth that almost looked human, and she was uh, she wasn't scary at all. I mean, she was a, an attractive uh, woman, you know. So it it wasn't scary, 
Uh, so it, that didn't bother me a bit. It, it didn't scare me at all. But it was just a, uh, a a lucid dream that I thought to myself, okay, I w- I could have never. I can I can't make up these things. The thing that people got to understand: if you have lucid dreams, and you can't make them up, you can't write these things before they happen. They they've got to happen to you through regression, and they've got to come through in that kind of a lucid form. And the memories that you have, it's better than being hypnotized. If you can go into a sleep, and you can bring about your own regression and your your dreams, lucid dreams, and you you'll find some of those memories that the ETs left with you. Uh, they wanted to leave them with you. So apparently, I don't have anything else they, they shared with me. Uh, like I said, I've had a couple other uh, lucid dreams, but uh, and I have a, I've had several events that uh, that come true. They were predicting the future, but I won't go into that. I guess we're kind of running up against the clock. <laughs> I, I find your story very fascinating, and I know we just scratched the surface here, and there's a lot to get into. I, I definitely would like to have you back on to talk more, uh, but. Before we we roll out of here, I wanted to ask you about your wife, though. I mean, all this stuff happens to you and all this stuff happens uh, throughout your life. How did you go about breaking the news to her and how did she take it? I mean, did she take it well or did it take some time for her to be convinced like her own experiences or something? No, she never had her own experiences. Uh, Actually, in the Philippines, they don't have many UFO experiences there because I talked to a lot of people. I had one guy. And his son tell me that they saw lights over the city. Well, it could have been a helicopter, but that's all I've ever heard from Philippines. You don't hear much from the Philippines about about UFO activity. Uh, they're not they're not a targeted area like like the U.S. is, I guess, because of our our technology. Now, I I talked to my wife. I told her I said uh, I've had you know abduction experiences, and I told her just last year because she married me 2012, and it was last the last year 2011. I had a lot of my occurrences i explained them to him explained them you know to her that she said she said well they could have been just dreams and i said no not really so they're not dreams i said i can tell you a lot and i told her a lot of my my uh, events through my life and she goes well maybe you were supposed to see these things she said and just accept them and don't worry about it you know don't don't have them on your mind all the time i said that's easy to for you to say because when, once you have those experiences, you never forget them. But she slowly started uh, understanding me when she had experiences. And uh, she saw a couple of UFOs while we were driving. And she actually looks for them. She'll be looking out the window and she'll say, she, she says, honey, is that, a, is that a UFO? And I'll look. And one time it was. It was, a, it was a triangle craft that poked its nose down through the clouds and it showed itself just for a while. She said, I see it. She said, it looks like a triangle and it, then I went back up into the clouds. I said, yes, you did see it. I said, finally, you saw one. You know, I said, great. Uh, but she saw another one when he's coming back from Springfield one time, too. And But she uh, she says, uh, and then she'll point at them, and I'll say, no, those are those are uh, avionic lights. I said, they're they're amber lights and green and red. I said, those are those are our planes. I said, uh, not not UFOs. So so she's quickly learning how to identify flying objects, but. She no, she believes because she has felt the electricity from my hand. Once I was electrocuted, uh, I touch her at night, and I'll I'll have my hand on her shoulder, and she'll she'll say your electricity is real high right now. She said she said it's 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 hurting. I said oh, okay, so 
uh, and a lot of tests when I go to uh, like EKGs and things, they mess up a lot uh, because of the electricity they put in me or my, uh, my DNA has been charged from the implants also. So, and that those times that I was uh, abducted, there was three of them when I felt the electricity from abductions. And I think I was electrified and my DNA was electrified. So uh, I have problems with my, my uh, camera on my phone. A lot of times they won't take a picture because of my fingers. Uh, so it, it, she, she realizes that there's some weird things about, about you know, my past and about things that happen now that she sees. She's not afraid. But she was afraid when she took a look at this thing. I sent her the video of the reptilian in the Philippines, and she she wrote back. She says, she said, yes, I see the eye. But she said, I'd, I'd like to see more of it when I get home. She said, but yes, I see the eye. She said, she said, you think we should move? I said, I said, honey, I said, if we move, I said, we moved to Alaska, didn't we? And I said, they followed me there. And I said, it doesn't know. I said, they they can keep track of you anywhere. I said, you can't get away from them. And uh, so she she decided, okay, we won't move then, I guess. But uh, yeah, she's she's a little afraid. I, I don't know if they'll be here when she gets back. She's supposed to come back tonight, gonna pick her up. And so I don't know if they're gonna be here uh, when she gets back because when when she left, that's when they come. Uh, they, it was weird. She left, and then I had the CT activity for about four or five weeks. So it's it's strange. Uh, I'll see what happens when she comes back. And I think she's a little afraid, so I don't want to really talk to her about it too much. I'll probably show her the pictures, and I'll let her go over those. But uh, they've already been gone over by several people, and, and they, they said that they were, uh, you know, reptilian man and also a rep, uh, the Michelin man also. Uh, and the shadows and also the, the orbs were all quite real. You can see them in video. So it's uh, – I wish I would have had all my things videoed. Uh, if I did, I would have – I'd really – I'd really have some marvelous things to show people. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, I wish you had it all videoed as well. But uh, I, I imagine your wife, she's probably like, just make sure it's not at the house when I get home. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm going to show her. She wants to see the pictures, but I'm not going to elaborate too much uh, because uh, I don't want her to be directly uh, scared. She, she's not as strong as I am. Uh, of course, I've been in combat and everything, so I, I know how to control myself. Until I saw this reptilian in my camera, I couldn't sleep the next night. I was I was really afraid uh, the reptilian was here, that something was going to happen. Like I said, even my 92-year-old mom called me and said, are you all right? You know, She said, I know there's things going on in your, your condo, so I just want to make sure you're okay. I said, I'm fine, mom. You know, so so she knows the the family knows, you know, and then when I showed them the picture of the reptilian, I think that also scared them. So, yeah, I, I don't want to scare my wife too much about this stuff, but she she was she's aware. And I think she's she's becomes, you know, slowly and more slowly into the, you know, the fray of things. But uh, she doesn't want to elaborate on it. She doesn't want me to worry about it or elaborate on it. So uh, I'll try not to. Yeah, it's understandable. Uh, well, Dave, listen, before we get out of here, could you let people know where to find you and stuff? Because I know you got your own show and uh, I want people to be able to go check you out. Yeah, I, I'm on uh, I'm on K-Core Radio out of Las Vegas and I have a Thursday night show at 10 p.m. Central Time and I believe that's 8 p.m. Uh, Pacific Time, Western Time. Uh, and I talk about UFOs. I, I had a guest 
uh, Ron Johnson on the other night, and he was talking about his his experiences, in which he has a lot also, uh, quite a bit, and we couldn't get it into a two-hour show. And you can't get all my stories into a two-hour show either. It takes about uh, – I can, I can talk to you about four hours uh, with my events, and, and the reason I'm able to talk through that quick – with four hours of my events is because you heard how I talk. I talk in, in linear fashion. I just go straight on into my uh, chronological and I get to the details and I try not to, you know, stammer or stutter around about telling the stories. I, I, I do it, you know, uh, in a, in a flow. Now I've, I've actually always did have a flow, even some years ago with my with my events. Uh, chronologically, I don't forget them. I don't need notes. I have no notes, nothing that I follow. I take notes on other people, though, before I interview them. But I had Dave Marler on my show. Uh, and I had Grant Cameron. Uh, I've had, uh, oh, gosh, I, I had, I'm trying to think. I've been two months there, about eight shows now. Uh, I've got uh, Dan Perkins next week. Uh, but that won't be anything about UFOs. It'll be about uh, the coronavirus, and it'll be about uh, uh, the terrorists trying to, uh, you know, plant viruses in our country. And they've been looking to do that. So he's written nine novels. He's very sharp. He's he's been around for a while. So it's been an interesting show. It's outside of the UFO uh, realm, and I sometimes do that. I'll talk. I'll talk. Uh, off, uh, you know, off topic from UFOs, just just take a break. Uh, but when I have uh, UFO people on experiencers, of course, I jive with them right away, and I can almost feel where they're at and know what's going on. That's what my producer told me that she said your UFO experience makes you, uh, you know, very good at handling uh, other UFO experiences because you've been there and done that, and you know, you know what they're going through with. And I said, yeah. I said, but I like to do other topics. And she, I said, I, I like to have another two-hour block. And she goes, Dave, you don't want to get into vo- politics or anything like that. Uh, so she's kind of like saying no. Stay, <laughs> say where you're at right now. She said, you're doing great. She said, I like what you're doing. She said, she said, but you get into politics. She said, you're going to get burned out quick. So yeah, people can see me on YouTube if they look up my name, Dave Emmons, UFOs. Um, I'm, I got a lot of YouTubes out there from various uh, interviews. And, and and of course, KCOR right now, uh, radio station is my is my main outlet to uh, where I'm a host. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please share the show with your friends. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok. We don't care where you share the show. Just share the show if you enjoyed it, because that is the best thing you can do to help the show grow. And I mentioned it before on the show, we have been experiencing a little bit of shadow banning on social media, especially with some of the content we've been posting about the COVID-19 stuff. It seems like whenever we post something like that that's controversial, the show gets a little shadow banned where our posts don't really really reach anybody. So if you want to make sure that you're always connected to the confessionals, because one day we might be kicked off social media, you never know how these things go these days, go to the confessionalspodcast.com because everything is always there. Or you can sign up for our newsletter through the website, or you can join the text message community called First in Line. That's a text message community where you just sign up for it, and you'll always be connected to me whenever I have something to tell the audience. I'll just shoot a text message out, and if you're on First in Line, you'll get that text and that information. And all you have to do is text the word YUP, you know, Y-U-P, YUP, and text the word YUP to 844-215-0819. That's 844 844- 215 
0819 and you'll be automatically registered to be on first in line and it is free for you not free for me but free for you <laughs> all right guys i love you take care stay safe and remember the truth will set you free but first it'll piss you off bye through the milky way in my spaceship at the speed of light i'm gonna make it i know you've been expecting me Turn on the cameras, take another scene We go like hands up, people Get with the show, we're taking over People lose control In the that's my DJ Preaching my soul, ain't for the stars My people, we never fall Yes, I'm a million When I'm touching the earth Call me a spaceman When I travel universe Yes, I'm an alien When I'm touching the earth, call me a space man. When I travel universe, call me a space man. Travel universe